Welcome to A Bevy of Bloods, a fan podcast of the Sydney Swans Football Club. My name's Noddy, and as always, I'm joined by Steve-O. And in this episode number six, we're going to talk about the game just played against the Bombers, a few topics in the AFL, and the game ahead against the Giants. So to all the signets of the world out there, fluff up your tail feathers and settle in for a very biased yarn about all things to do with our beloved Bloods. G'day, Steve-O. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, mate. Going well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. My heart's finally stopped racing, so doing a bit better than I was on Thursday night. But um, with that in mind, maybe we should get into why my heart was racing in the first place, shall we? So first up, let's look at how our Swannies did in round four. In our very first Thursday game of the year, we came up against the 10th place Essendon Bombers in a very thrilling and often extremely stressful game filled with missed opportunities and massive pressure applied by both sides. Uh, the Bloods held on to eclipse the Bombers in a hard-fought and gritty victory, scoring 11-17-83 to Essendon, Essendon's 12-8-80. All right, Steve-O, first impressions, what did you think? Oh, mate, like you said, stressful. I um, Yeah, regular <laughs> listeners know that I live in Finland, and so we've got a time lag. So often I can't be watching the games live or at regular sorts of times. And this one was on in the middle of the working day on a Thursday. And I was in a meeting, like a Zoom meeting at the time. I had the game on my phone. And I had to turn it off. It was too much. I couldn't handle it. And then I turned it back on for the last two minutes or so. Luckily, my microphone was on mute because my colleagues in the meeting would have seen a different side of me, I think. Um, <laughs> but, but they got up. They got the win. So that was exciting. And then I watched the replay once I'd finished work. But, um, but yeah, overall, I guess it was a grind, really. If I had to describe the game in a word, a grind, two words. Um, but it was, it was good to see them have to win a game in the last quarter as well. I think the last three weeks, the game's more or less been over by the end of the third quarter um and i think in this one the senior players really stood up and led the game when it was on the or, or like won the game when the game was on the line so it was good to see them find that different way to win yeah look to be honest if i was if i were asked which which would you prefer game over by three quarters in our favor or grinded out right to the last minute of the game i think i'd prefer the former just for my stress levels but yeah i i, I agree with you mate it was um sustained pressure throughout we stayed in the fight and we held on for a very very good win and i, I think the other thing to to say here is that i think essendon will probably knock off a fair few teams this year especially if they keep playing uh as they played um which was very similar to how we we've been playing so all right first uh what did we think of team selection so what was your reaction to our ins of Franklin, out uh, McLean and Bell as a medical sub. I guess Franklin was expected. The Swans had um had been pretty clear, um you know as early as the Richmond game that he was going to play against Essendon, and it was just because of the short turnaround that they hadn't included him for the earlier game um, in Melbourne. So yeah, Franklin in, and then McLean again did nothing wrong, and um you know whenever he's come into the side he's done really well, and I think he'll get more chances as the year goes on. Um, and then the medical sub, they seem to be rotating it. Bill looked like he was next in line for the rotation and um, and he got to come on and have a run um, once he went off, which was good for him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Franklin looked fresh and hungry. Um, yeah, and as you said, McLean will have his chances later on. But yeah, Bell came on for Heaney and actually played his role when it mattered and, and was in a couple of um, crunch uh, passages of play. So we'll talk about that later. But all right, what were your main takeaways, your key takeaways for the game? I guess, first of all, it showed us very clearly that, and we talked about this last week, that you know now that the Swans have had three good wins in a row, that teams are going to do their homework and they're going to um, start picking apart the Sydney game and they're going to bring it to us. And Essendon did. They really brought our pressure game up to us and we needed to find a way to respond. Um, Essendon had 36 tackles in the last quarter. Snelling had seven on his own, um, but the Swans stood up to it. And, and Essendon, I mean, they knew that Sydney want to move the ball quickly through the corridor. They want to play this sort of short kick game and move the ball nicely by foot. They didn't make it easy for us to do that. Maybe the small SCG helps a little bit. It is it is more constricted through the corridor there, perhaps, and some other fields. But Essendon did a really good job of it. They they worked us out and they, they really made us earn the win. Um, but on the other hand, I think we can't be that wasteful against stronger sides. Yes, Essendon played very well. They did. Um, they did do a lot of effort to restrict how Sydney play, but we also were very wasteful with the ball. Um, we kicked, what, 17 behinds or something. I mean, if we'd been more accurate converting, maybe we're doing a different game. Yeah, definitely, mate. I mean, in the first three rounds, we kicked more goals than behinds 
but this round we caught, we kicked more behinds than goals, obviously. Um, but as, as you're saying, and it really is a key point of the game, the Bombers just, they caused us more pressure. And so that's going to be in the minds of the players and, and, you know, it's going to have an, an effect on our accuracy and that comes to the fore when we uh, look at some of the, the stats later on, but just very quickly look at the quarter by quarter breakdown. So um, I think the commentators were saying there were like eight or nine lead changes. It really was a, a seesawing affair, um, but effectively uh, the Bombers won the first quarter, four goals to two. Then again, we had a, a pretty decent um second quarter or second half of second quarter. Um, and we ended up winning that five goals to three. And then the Bombers won the third, three goals to two. And then it was a two goal all draw to finish off. Uh, but we'd obviously done enough to get the three point win in the end. So um, Steve, can you give us a few stats that highlight what, what we've been talking about? I mean, the main one, you look at the stat sheet, like for the team stats, there wasn't huge discrepancies in a lot of the areas, a lot of the key areas. One that there was a big noticeable gap was clearances, which we had 47 to 24, which is which is massive. It's, it's almost double. It's one clearance more and, and you double their number of clearance. But then again, I think the way that Essendon played didn't, um, didn't reflect um, clearly that number because that huge dominance in clearances wasn't reflected in overall dominance in the game. Um, and I think it's always good to look at stats in the context of, of what happens next and how those stats are gathered. So with the clearance in this game, a lot of the time there was very strong pressure on our players. A lot of our clearances were kind of scrappy hack kick forwards like Parker and Kennedy and, and Hickey just sort of hacking the ball forward, which is much different to breaking cleanly out of a stoppage and, and sort of putting it on the chest of a player up the field. Um, and then also in a clearance, you might have a case where there might be pressure on the clearance as you get it forward or you might be kicking forward to an outnumber. So all these things are important when we look at clearance stats. And I think that um, we did very well around the clearances. Our inside mids did a great job, but um, yeah, it's never the whole picture. Yeah, definitely. I'll add um, a comment on disposal efficiency. So in the first three rounds, we were hovering around 75, 76%. And in the game against the Bombers, we were 67%. So again, it just sort of paints that picture that that was a much closer game than it has been. We didn't, we had less time on the ball. There was more heat coming from the opposition um, with that, the tackles, obviously you called out Snelling there. I think he ended with like 13 for the game or something. Um, but the Bombers had 78 uh, tackles in total to our 54. So yeah, it just showed that uh, their pressure did have an effect on on how we use the ball. The other thing I think we'll, talk, we'll both talk about here, Steve-O, is that in the first three rounds, we had players, I think we'll, we kept, you and I were talking, we had something like 10 or 11 multiple, like different goal scorers in the first three rounds. So like a lot of people were contributing to, to us getting these um, three scores over 100, uh, three weeks in a row and, and more goals than behinds. And, and it was the likes of really, you know, up and coming, our, our brand new our de- our debutants. So Golden, uh, McDonald, um, obviously Campbell hasn't kicked yet. But if we look at the, the score sheet from the game, uh, Golden kicked three behinds, Heaney kicked two behinds, Blakey kicked two behinds, and then Warner, Hickey and Wicks all kicked uh, one behind each, and Logan McDonald didn't kick uh, a, a, a kick neither a goal nor a behind. So all of these players had obviously been contributing in the past three weeks, but for them not to score at all. Um, so what are we looking at here, Steve? We've got 10, 10 behinds, uh, and I think you said something about um, if you include the two kicks out on the full by Golden, we've got twelve gettable scoring shots. So let's let's err on the side of caution and say we only get fifty percent of those. So that's an additional six goals. So uh, and and this this is being uh, harsh, uh, but but definitely realistic in that they were gettable. So our score goes from eleven seventeen and actually flips to seventeen eleven, and that total score would be one hundred and thirteen against twelve eight eighty. Presuming that Essendon also. Um, you know, stayed on the same points, but that score is more reflective of the first three rounds. And the fact that these players didn't score um, really, I think, added to our pressure because it, it is mental. Do you, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think the, the only one out of that, there was, well, there's those 10 behinds you mentioned and the two out on the full that were both from Goulden. The only one where I'll kind of give a bit of leniency maybe is that one by Heaney where it was right on the boundary, but he kicked a goal from the same spot against Richmond. So, you know, like we know he can do it. Um, 
Yeah. And and even then, that's you know, I'm, I'm being I'm being a bit harsh, maybe expecting him to kick him all the time, but that was a tough kick. But yeah, they're mostly very very gettable shots. And I think that when Essendon's playing this increased pressure style game, where you know it's it's hard, like it's physically and mentally difficult to play that pressure style football all the time. Um, so you've got to run hard to fill space in a zone. You've got to chase. You've got to pressure. You've got to do all of that stuff. And it's much harder to maintain that intensity when you're down by five or six goals in the scoreboard, not five or six points. Um, and so mentally, it's easier to stay in the game if you're not getting that scoreboard pressure on the opposition. Yeah, and obviously, it, it was throughout. You know, I, mean, I think that the Bombers had gotten out to a 25-point lead at one point. And then obviously, as we've already said, sort of Swans came back into it and then the Bombers came. And then basically, it was they they led after first quarter we led after second quarter they led after third quarter and then we finally came home with the chocolates so it was it really was a seesawing affair but one that could have been a little bit less stressful had some of these players and we can't be too harsh on them because a lot of them are, are very young but um, it was just a stark contrast to the first three rounds of the year but hopefully they'll uh, find their radar again and and uh, I mean if Golden had uh, kicked all five we'd be talking about um golden kicking five so and yeah. outscoring buddy but um yeah so it just goes to show that uh you know on any given day on any given night and uh you know depending on who you're up against you know things can not go your way so all right mate what were your favorite moments of the game um well we're, we're talking about golden i'm going to keep talking about golden because um <laughs> and, and i guess i guess i'll add to that too that um that yeah okay he kicked three behinds and he kicked two out on the full he also had a couple of great goal assists um, but what we really have is we've got an 18, 19. Is he 18 or 19? Is he very young? I think he's still 18, mate. Yeah. So like a, a teenager, at least. Very young. He's the youngest. He's the youngest player on our list. Okay. Yeah. So the youngest guy on our list who is is playing in a pressure game um, on the on the Thursday night and he's getting multiple goal assists and he's getting five shots on goal. That's pretty good just by that, um, I think. So he missed, but, you know, maybe next week he gets them and it's a different thing, like you said. Um, but yeah, but Goulden, the thing I really liked with him because we, we see a lot of his his play. He's a sort of very highlights-friendly player, I think, because of the impact that he has. Um, and he did some really good work. It was in the second quarter, um, 14 minutes to go on the countdown clock in the second quarter. He does some really, really great work in the middle. He first is a, forces a turnover that leads to a Florent goal. Um, but the thing that I really liked was what happened after that. He, he calls the turnover. Swan's got the goal. He's in the forward line celebrating. They're getting ready to set up for the next centre bounce. And then you see Brett Kirk, the Swan's runner, come on and give him the call to come off. He straight away turns away from his sort of like celebration, getting reset, bolts off the field as fast as he can, like really, really hard running off to um to get the rotation in before the next bounce. So that sort of team thing, just to give his teammate that extra couple of seconds to get in and get set up. And that's the sort of thing I love seeing in a player. And it's really exciting to see in a young player like him. Yeah, and mate, he's so exciting. Um, talking about goal assists, I think he's like averaging eight or something again. He might even be right up there in the in the league leaders. So we'll have to double check that and, and come back with a, an accurate comment next week. But um, yeah, have you got any other honourable mentions, mate? Or was that your clear winner? Um, that was great. There was also a really great thing that McInerney did in the last quarter, about six minutes left. It was just a really, really smart tap off the ground to read um, when the game was in the balance. Um, he was in a contest. The ball was on the ground. Rather than trying to sort of take possession or whatever, he had the presence of mind. He saw Reed, who was a bit free at the front of the contest, tapped it forward to him. Reed got it, got it to Blake, who took it forward. They, they didn't score from it. But the important thing is that McInerney was able to assess that quickly, realised that the other options was either a ball up or even an Essendon possession versus what turned into a Sydney shot on goal. So for another young player to have that presence of mind to do that little one percenter type thing, I really liked well, mate, that's a good segue to my favourite moment because it all also involved uh, Juzzy McInerney. I'm going to talk about Buddy's third goal. So the goal that uh, got us ahead by two points um, with, a, with about, uh, let's say, three minutes ago, I think it was roughly. Um, so Lloyd kicks it in and we're on the broadcast side, um, uh, I guess, back end uh, towards the hill or the old hill rather. Um, so Lloyd kicks into Dawson, who kicks to Blakey, who then kicks on to Mills uh, as a contest. Mills gets it to Joey Kennedy, who handballs back to Mills, who does a beautiful little handball to McInerney, who's screaming down the wing. And I think there's a, a cutaway to the bench and, and horses screaming at Charlie Gardner at this point, I think. Um, but anyway, he, uh, McInerney, he uh, kicks inside 50 and, and Buddy had beckoned him towards goal, but McInerney 
sort of put it towards that first uh, 10, 15 metres uh, near the, the 50 metre arc and, and Buddy came back towards away from goal and, and and took a lovely contested mark and then went back obviously lined up and, and, and got the kick and that put us up by two points. Um, so that was, yeah, that was probably my favourite moment. A couple of other mentions, uh, to, and this is for Chris who pointed this one out, um, with about 45 seconds to go in the game, obviously in the last, uh, in the fourth quarter as well, Cunningham gets the ball, I think, sort of just towards the back of the centre square and Tip and Woody, and McDonald Tip and Woody goes to tackle him, but um, Cunningham breaks free. He spins out of it and he uh, he belts it long down the line and and Hickey, <laughs> Hickey sprints after it, sort of um, rolling towards the, the member stand and Hickey sprints after it to make it look a little less uh, deliberate than it probably was, but hey, we'll take it. Um, so that was a very good moment. And, and obviously Rampy's... Um, uh, behind, he got that finger on the ball, and you could very clearly hear, hear him say, "I got that, surely." So he he, uh, he didn't say anything naughty this time, nor did he climb any posts. So that was uh, that was nice. But um, yeah, they were my my moments, mate. I will actually at this point just add one other little at the ground moment. Um, so obviously, was at the ground with um, at the game with with the group of uh, boys and girls that sit in the O'Reilly, the O'Reilly rabble, and. Uh, what happens is um, when we previously used to sit in the Bradman stand, when we'd win um, from the very top, we'd um, get in the stairwell and then sing the song all the way down. It would echo throughout the concrete steps all the way down. And it was a really good way to get the crowd back into it. Um, but obviously in the O'Reilly, we don't have that same um, stairwell, but what we do have is that really cool tunnel um, that basically works its way back um, up towards uh, the exit that comes out of the Sydney football, the back of the Sydney football stadium. So what we do now is when we win, it's been good so far this year, obviously. Um, we start singing as we hit the tunnel to get the, the echo going. And so there was about, I don't know, probably four or five of us screaming at the top of our lungs and, and, and sung the team song. And as we were walking up the ramp, I could see that there was a lady um, towards the left in a swan's flag who had a phone out taking a video. And um, I went up to her and said, oh, did you, did you enjoy the wind? Did you like the song? And she's like, yeah, that was great. I just took a video. I was like, no worries. And um, we sort of walked, we kept walking out together and chatting about how the game went. And, and uh, when we got outside, she caught up with the rest of her group and I'm looking at her she's got a swan's flag on a scarf on and the rest of the group um are in bombers colors <laughs> and i'm like what's going on here what's going on here so um we went to the pub later on and i, I got uh talking to her and her name was marita um and her uh, she was with her family a lot of sisters and they're traditionally they're from uh, melbourne um but they're actually an old essendon family so they uh, i was told by marita and and her sisters that uh, their grandfather was the, um, I think, uh, one of the grandmasters from the Essendon station. Um, so have been, you know, Don's family basically from day dot. And so I was like, Marita, why are you wearing a, a swan scarf if you're clearly, a, you know, uh, an, a, a, an Essendon hardcore? Um, and she said, well, I've got my husband to thank for that. Um, so I married, uh, Marita says, I married a guy named Bob, um, who are an old South Melbourne, Melbourne family, and they've been married for 48 years. And so lovingly, uh, Marita barracks for the Bloods now. And so I, I just wanted to say um, it was fantastic meeting her and, and thanks to Bob for bringing someone back into the Bloods fold uh, and hopefully catch up with that family uh, at our next game at the SCG against the uh, the Bombers and, and hopefully we can get the win again. But yeah, it was just wanted to say thank you for chatting and thank you for telling me a story. And it was a really, really nice moment and one that can only be had at the ground. So yeah, yeah they were my moments, mate. But um, you just never know who you're going to meet at the ground. I think that's the that's the thing. I'm not rubbing it in. I guess I'm rubbing it in a little bit here, Steve. So I know you're abroad. You can't go to the game. Sorry, mate. Uh, here I am saying we're having all this fun at the at the ground, and and we're getting all these wins, and you're over in in Finland. Uh, sorry, getting sorry. getting up at five in the morning to watch a game, bleary eyed, is pretty fun. You you don't know what you're missing, mate. Really, you should check it check it out next time. I'll give it a go next time. Yeah, All right, highly so, recommended. <laughs> thanks, mate. All right, let's move on to our best and fairest, our ABOB medal. Um, this is where we rate our best five players on the ground using 5-4-3-2-1 scoring system with five points being the best. So, Steve-O, why don't you kick us off with your top five? Okay. Um, best on ground for me, five votes goes to Luke Parker. Fantastic game. 
four votes to Sam Reed, three to Mills, two to Kennedy, one to Tom Hickey. Awesome, mate. All right, I also gave five points to Parker. I gave four to Warner, three to Reed, two to Hickey, and one to Buddy Franklin. So we had Parker, Reed, and Hickey the same, and diverged on Mills, Kennedy, Warner, and Franklin. Is that right? That's yep. That sounds right. Sounds about right. All right, Parker. What a great game. Massive. Yeah, he was. He was Tell awesome. me about him. Uh, uh, he just does everything, doesn't he? Like he wins the hardball. He takes tough marks. He's his disposal is good. He brings players into the game. He hits the scoreboard. I mean, he's just a fantastic footballer. And and I think the Essendon game was one of his examples of just how good he is. Now, he did several bicycle kicks. You know when he get when he's yeah. in the act of, of getting tackled and somehow flicks it on his boot, and in doing so, he does like this crazy, like Brazilian style bicycle kick or something. It's just, and it's not the he does it often, and he, he's just very very. He's, he's just awesome, isn't he? He's massive. <laughs> yeah, he's so strong. I mean, he's one of those guys that even if you got him tackled and wrapped up in a stoppage, he's so strong that he can still actually get the ball onto his boot and get an effective position forward. Most players in that situation, it's probably going to be a ball up or the ball spills out. But he's he's got that strength through his um through his body that he can still get you in a well, like not an effective but certainly a kick forward. Yeah, definitely. And with a goal, 32 disposals, seven marks and six clearances, he was at the top of the pack. Um, Sam Reed, let's talk about him next. He was instrumental, especially in that last quarter, but like definitely throughout. He was such a presence um, across the ground. He, he, was, he played very, very well, didn't he? Yeah, he was everywhere. I mean, he was taking marks. He was he was working very well in, in link play. He got forward, got a couple of goals. He pinched it in the ruck to give Hickey a rest. Um, yeah, one of the best games that he's played for a while, I think. Yeah, definitely 2-1. And, um, you know, it's certainly we really needed him to step up because uh, in the past couple of weeks, I think those other players we spoke about had been kicking goals probably a bit more than Sam Reid. But, yeah, he really stepped up and we really needed him um, against the Bombers. And, yeah, definitely. So you, you, you gave him four and I gave him three. Um, I gave Warner four um, just for the fact that he just continues to shine. 23 disposals, four inside, 57 marks, six tackles. He's a tackle beast, right? Six tackles and six clearances. He's just the only thing he didn't do this week was kick a goal, mm. um, which I thought he could have because he screamed out of the center square a bit like last week. Um, he had Darcy Parrish uh, chasing him. I think you were saying that maybe no one had shouted out to him that he had more time. Maybe, maybe he didn't yeah. have as much time he had. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, he played, he, you know, he looked for an option selflessly, but I was really hoping he would emulate uh, that that passage of play against the Tigers. But um, our man Hickey, okay, Tom Hickey, wow. Um, could be could be trade traded in player of the year. He's getting close. We might have to do a, a little uh, a session on that to assess how um, all the all the players are going um, who moved at the end of last year's trade period. But I, I will absolutely hand on heart, eat my hat here, and say Tom Hickey. <laughs> Tom Hickey has proven me wrong, and I'm I'm a, I'm on board. I'm a fan. I'm on the Hickey train bandwagon. He just keeps doing it, doesn't he? He's fantastic. Yeah, he was great, um, and he has such a strong impact around the clearance. I think he led the Swans for clearances again this week. I think he had, what, eight clearances on his own. So he's our top clearance player again. Um, yeah, very, very good game. I mean, the only knock you could say is that he didn't uh, kick any goals, but I think you made a very good point about uh, Nick Cox when he was marking up on on him, steve I think, yeah, probably. I mean, this is just me sort of thinking out loud in a way, but I... I would guess that if you think of how he's got a lot of his goals in the earlier games, it's when he's been able to sort of just drift forward and be in a bunch of space in the forward line. And and perhaps the Essendon Ruckman, I mean, it was, um, it was what the um, Cox and the, was it Wright, the other one who was, yeah, Peter Wright. Yeah, yeah. Who was often in the ruck. I mean, maybe they had just decided to be more alert to that and to pay Hickey a bit more respect. I don't know, but that it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely. So, all right, and the other players there, we have Mills, Kennedy, and Franklin. And I think we can probably just say that, you know, Mills and Kennedy, they're, they're I mean, Mills is still quite young. It's, it's sort of weird to think about it, but but obviously Franklin is our, um, you know, experienced head, our captain, and and he just, uh, yeah, just keeps contributing and making sure. I think it ties into your point, your, your key takeaway that um, our senior players stood up and, and, and really got, uh, got, us, got us over the line. And I guess you see Kennedy is 
one of the main players that falls into that comment. Yeah, for sure. He, um, especially once the game in that sort of second half and into the final quarter, he was a really strong presence around stoppages. Um, and he was absorbing. Like, we talked about that Essendon tackle pressure where they had, what, 36 tackles or something last quarter. It was guys like him and Parker in the middle. They were really absorbing a lot of that um, and making sure that we could get the ball out and not let them get it forward and turn it over. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I had Franklin there at one and that was really just for the the three goals and the fact that he, you know, he's just a presence and mm. he's just a, he's just King Bud, isn't he? So <laughs> I, th- I thought I'd get, he, he looked, he looked amazing. He looks fit. He lo- I hope he can continue. Obviously where we'll, we'll look at the, the preview in the, in the last section, but yeah, let's, let's hope he can keep on, keep on rolling. But um, have you got any, anything else to add there before I move on, Steve? No, that was it for me. Yeah. Good stuff, mate. All right. I'm going to give a quick fantasy update now. Um, I forgot to talk about it in the last podcast. So I'll just quickly say um, that Sam Wick scored 124 fantasy points uh, at the end of the Tigers game, but he currently is not on the on the team. So we didn't get access to that delicious ton. Uh, anyway, uh, Jake Lloyd bounced back for a fantastic 119 against the Tigers as well. Um, and obviously, Gordon and Warner are just like going crazy. All right, our top three uh, against the Bombers, um, it sort of reflects in our 5-4-3-2-1. Uh, uh, Luke Parker scored 126, Jake Lloyd 103, and Warner 95. The pros are Parker keeps getting it done. Lloyd backed up uh, another week after another ton and Warner almost got the ton um, and would have done so if he scored a goal, but didn't really matter because he's doing so well and just has so much value there. Uh, The cons was obviously Heaney was subbed out with the hand injury in the second quarter, um, which is unfortunate because he had made an incredible start um, through a quarter and a half. He was already on 45 points, uh, but I think he's going to be out for a month, they're saying. So uh, I think what we're going to have to do is uh, just do a, a clean trade. We'll uh, trade out Heaney and bring in Wicks. So uh, that'll be a straight swap, I think. I'll just have to look at the cash. But yeah, that's a AFL Fantasy update. Steve, we're going to move on to a new section here. Um, we're going to briefly touch upon match fines. Um, obviously, we hadn't had any to date, but there were three in the game against the Bombers. So do you want to just give us a breakdown or a summary of what happened and, and what the value of those fines were? Sure. Um, the first one was Callum Mills. Honestly, I wasn't even aware of this until after the game when I saw the match review officer report that this had even happened. Um, careless contact with an umpire. Um, with an early plea, he got a thousand buck fine. That was that one. Um, Nick Blakey got um, got cited for rough conduct on Zach Merritt. He sort of uh, shouldered him kind of in the side, in the back. So it was considered careless conduct, um, low impact, body contact. And with an early plea, he gets a $2,000 fine. And then the final one was Kyle Langford from the Bombers. Um, this was it was in the second quarter. He did a, like a sort of a, he threw Chad Warner to the ground in a kind of like a quite dangerous tackle. Um, this one, which I found interesting, was classified more or less the same as the Nick Blakey one. Um, 3000 bucks first offence, but $2,000 fine with an early guilty plea. And looking at the two of them, I felt that the Langford one was far more potentially dangerous than the Blakey one. And if if it had just been a little bit of bad luck, I mean, Warner could have been quite seriously hurt um, and he probably would have got several weeks suspension. So, yeah, that was the one of the three, which was a bit uh, for me. I don't know. How did you see those ones went? Yeah, Callum Mills. I mean, I'd be pretty. I mean, I know all these players are on pretty good wickets, but a thousand dollar fine for the the ump accidentally basically run. I mean, Mills went with his player, so it was unavoidable. But thousand dollars for that seems a bit rough. But you know, I guess they've got a system in place. But Nick Blakey one, look, it looked a little bit bad. But I also think Merritt probably, you know, not milked it, but like did played 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 the play well um but yeah you could hear the commentator i think joe watson saying oh god if blakey if blakey put that hit on merit and merit got you know fined last year for doing the same thing on silvani then surely blakey's gonna do it as well so sometimes i wonder if you know people are just if if people watching the game are alerted to the to the fact by the commentators and then it becomes this focal point but Anyway, Joe Watson obviously is a, is a legend of the Essendon Football Club. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how good he is at commentating, but we won't. We, I won't go into that. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to interpret things incorrectly there, Steve. But um, oh, no. 
That's a bit rough. But uh, look, the Kyle Langford one was definitely the worst. Um, definitely the worst. That could have been very, very messy. Uh, Nick Blakey, there was something there, but I, I don't know if it was worth um, the same value as the as the Langford tackle. So we're just lucky that Warner wasn't concussed. So, well, hopefully he's not concussed, but we'll have to keep following that. Um, all right. So if that's that, we'll move on to AFL Hot Topics. And today, Steve, we're going to talk about very quickly the rolling schedule and the impact that's having and also where you are going to give us a, an update on the aflw finals so why don't i pass over to you mate uh this rolling schedule i guess and and for those um those listening who don't know what we mean it's it's this thing that the afl is doing now which i think every six weeks or so they're releasing the the times and dates and locations of the upcoming game so we still know every week who you're going to play in a given round, but you don't know if it's going to be on, you know, Friday or Sunday or, you know, lunchtime or nighttime or any of that stuff. And it's all getting released um, on relatively short notice. And that's what they were doing last year with the, with the COVID for obvious reasons, because of the hub situation and all the uncertainty. Um, I guess now it's settling down a bit, but because we still do have this practice of state border closures coming very fast, often with, with limited notice, I guess they've kept it to maintain some flexibility. Um, I don't know. I think it's good for the TV networks, but probably not so good for the fans. You can probably tell us not. I mean, you're a, you're a supporter going to games and trying to make trips to games. How is it for you? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a pain in the bum. Um, <laughs> look, and I, I'm only saying that now because we're sort of a little bit further out of the woods with the COVID stuff, but I'm trying to plan life events, um, you know, a couple of months out. And it's coming down to, okay, well, I can see we've got a game against this team. Um, oh, Ian, we're the third last team listed. So we're probably going to play on a Sunday. But if the Swans keep playing well, are they going to put us in the blockbuster, you know, the primetime slot? So it, it, it's kind of, it's a... It's a it's a, it's an inconvenience. It's a bit of a first world problem, but it, it's a little bit logistically difficult to manage um, when you're when you're a keen supporter trying to go to the games and also managing uh, things in your in, in your private life as you, as I should be. And, and my, <laughs> let me just say that that is priority. Swans, uh, you know, um, my, my priority is my family. We've, we've got um, that on uh, the record. Okay, good. That's yes, all. yes, yeah. Swans are close second, um, but when the family's not listening, I might say no. I'm just kidding. Family, obviously, number one. But um, yeah, look, it's. It, I understand the reasoning behind it, um, but I, I think as you've as you've commented, there's a. I think the AFL is benefiting benefiting from it, and it is. I guess the con conceptually, it's good because you know you can sort of take the the two or the four best teams that are doing well and put them in the prime time slots, and then that obviously is going to have a positive effect on your your advertising and your marketing. So surely that has a, a positive effect there, but. Yeah, it's a bit of annoying, a bit of an inconvenience. And it's sort of a little bit like that with um, uh, AFL Fantasy. So not only do they have this rolling um, schedule for the games, for the fixtures, they also announce the teams 24 hours in advance, whereas previously all teams would have been announced on the Thursday night um, and games playing on Sunday, um, you know, they would just name an extended bench, but they'd have a fixed, uh, you know, the, the 18 players on the team would be there um and so you know what's happening now is the swans uh, playing on uh, played on thursday against the bombers that were announced on wednesday and then the team playing on friday was announced on thursday saturday is announced on friday sunday is announced on saturday so and then when you have monday games they're announced on sunday so it's purely an afl fantasy thing it's just very difficult to monitor because you've got to make sure that you check the teams every day for late changes and injuries and stuff like that. So yeah, look, it's, I, I can understand it's, it's warranted to an extent um, because of the ongoing pandemic, but a little bit annoying. So hopefully it doesn't have to continue for too long or certainly not beyond next year, but mm -hmm. fingers crossed. Oh, obviously hope everything uh, works out well in the world with coronavirus. Uh, that's also a very important point to make. Um, <laughs> but uh, Steve, why don't you Tell us about the AFLW final series. I think grand final, right? Yeah, grand final this week. It's um, set to be a huge game. So so the grand final is going to be on Saturday, this coming Saturday at um, 1.30 p.m. And it's standalone too. So there's no interference from any other AFL men's games. So it'll be a clean TV slot for anyone who wants to watch it. 
Um, I'm not sure who's broadcasting. You need to check your local guides for the broadcasters, but um, it'll be completely yeah, uninterfered with. So it's not going to clash with anyone watching their favourite AFL men's team on Saturday. Um, the game's at Adelaide Oval. Adelaide Oval, um, they the Adelaide Crows finished top and they got through to the prelim into the grand final. So they earned the right to host the game. They're going to play Brisbane, which is a replay of the 2017 grand final, which the Crows won by a goal, six points. Um, and yeah, so it's in Adelaide. And this, interestingly, this is the fourth AFLW grand final. And it's the third time it's being hosted outside of Melbourne. So the first one was on the Gold Coast. Then it was in, in Melbourne at Princess Park. 2019, it was in Adelaide. 2020, it was cancelled because of the COVID stuff. And now again, this will be the fourth one. So third time out of four outside of Melbourne and no one's losing their minds. Everyone seems to think it's pretty reasonable to, to do this. So maybe if we can have that mindset in the women's game, it can gradually start to trickle in to the rest of the AFL. Um, we hope. So I'll tell you who's won the last, the last one. So 2017, Adelaide beat Brisbane. In the grand final, 2018, Bulldogs beat Brisbane again. Um, 2019, Adelaide beat Carlton. So we've got Adelaide trying to get their third premiership versus Brisbane trying to win their third grand final to make it one from three. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty tense for both sides, like trying yeah. to get the win and trying to, uh, I guess, to get the not a three-peat, but like pretty pretty close to it. Sounds like they're pretty formidable, the Crows. Yeah, they've been excellent. I mean, yeah, the only one that they didn't was that 2018 one where the Bulldogs got up. Um, and yeah, 2019, it's going to be Adelaide Oval again. They had the grand final Adelaide Oval in 2019. Over 53,000 people turned up to watch it live. So wow. yeah. hoping for another big, big crowd. The game itself, um, the Crows have got a big out. Their captain, Chelsea Randall, is out with the concussion rule. She got concussed, so she's got the, the mandatory 12 days, so she misses her grand final with concussion, um, which which she's an important player for the team. And then other key players, I mean, I talked about Erin Phillips last week. Again, she's amazing. I don't think I need to keep saying how good a footballer <laughs> she is. <laughs> Everyone will get tired of listening, but she is. Watch her. And, um, and then from Brisbane, um, have a look at Ali Anderson. She plays in the middle gets a lot of the football, um, uses it very well. And she's interestingly one of seven Lions who played in both of the other two losing grand finals that they've had. And Ali Anderson has, in fact, since she started playing football as a 17-year-old, played in nine grand finals for zero wins. So this would be her chance to get one from 10. Oh, for, it's now or never. Ali, yeah. <laughs> it's been a tough run for her. Um, but I think my tip is that the Crows are going to break Brisbane hearts again and make it three flags in four years. I'm tipping Crows. Hostile uh, territory, Adelaide Oval, the pristine mm. Adelaide Oval. It's going to be, it's going to be a cracker. And I've just found out, Steve, you can watch it on, you can stream it live on the AFLW official app or, or the AFL Live official app. And if you don't have those, you can download it for free on, in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. So that'll be a, a fantastic game, I think. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, Should be good. They're both very good teams. Yeah. If you haven't yeah, watched definitely. any AFLW this year, watch this game. Absolutely, mate. So we're looking forward to you giving us the results in next week's episode. But mm. let's move on to the next section, which is obviously the round ahead, the preview of the next game. In this section, we focus on three games. Most importantly, the Swans next game. And then two other games of interest uh, hosted by steve and one by me, Noddy. Uh, after that, we're going to run through the rest of the tips for the round. So... All right, uh, the Swans game, next game. So in game four of round five, it's another home game for the third place Bloods taking place uh, next Saturday, the 17th of April at the SCG against our local rival who posted their first win uh, against the Pies last week in Derby 20. And that's XX for those following in ancient Rome. Uh, and they're, f- <laughs> they're 15th place at the moment, the Giants, uh, after that win against the Pies. So first bounce uh, is at 4.35 p.m. local time. Cannot wait. Uh, the twos are actually playing at midday um, at Tramway tram side oval the ground outside of the scg that's next to the tram line um so they kick they um they also play in the giants and they start at midday i won't actually make that but um that'll be a fantastic day of footy if anyone's keen so okay steve let's look at the injuries after the bombers game how did we obviously had a couple um who are we looking at here 
Yeah, and both big outs too, really very big outs. Probably our best back and our best forward. Um, Rampy with a finger. He's looking at what, three to four weeks, even something like that, I think. Yeah, three to four. Yeah, and Heaney with a hand, something similar, three to four maybe, yeah, if he's lucky a bit quicker. So those two are definite <laughs> outs. Just um, here, just very quickly, Steve-O, because we may have some Bombers fans listening. Um, obviously, Heaney's, I don't think, you know, during the game, we didn't really see what happened to his hand. We just saw him go off and then Bell warming up to come on and then obviously did come on. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but they've they've found footage from um, the behind the goals, you know, the that the Fox footy guys have access to. Um, and it was a punch off the ball on Zerk Thatcher, unfortunately. And I think that that's, actually, that's how Heaney's injured his hand. Um, I don't know where he connected him, but I was watching a clip on the on the on the AFL app this afternoon, um, and and it looked like yeah that Heaney had clipped um, uh, Zerk Thatcher, and that's how he did his hand. Did you did you see that? No, I wasn't actually aware of that until you said it right now. So so Heaney hit the Essendon bloke and hurt his hand. Yeah, off ball. So off I think everyone. Okay. Well. I think Bombers fans and certainly uh, Kane Corns was like, yeah, well, you deserved it if you're doing that. And look, he, I don't think Heaney's a dirty player at all. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, you, we don't want players doing that sort of stuff, and we've spoken about that mm-hmm. before, and yeah. we will again. But you know, hopefully, Zerk Thatcher is okay. Um, I think he finished the game, so he was. But I don't want to say it's just desserts, but um, not at all. You know, because obviously, yeah. I've, I don't know. It's a tough one. Sorry, that was a comment without notice. A question yeah, without notice, no, was, Steve-O, but it's interesting to hear it. And I think it's good that you brought it up because, um, because yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot that we just we don't want any of this off the ball hitting going on at all. And if this highlights it as another example that it continues, then it's something worth talking about. Um, no matter what the outcome is for the Swans, I mean, obviously we want him to play, but um, but yeah, yeah we, we we do not want off the ball hits at all. Um. Yeah, look, the vision was blurry and it was very hard to see and it looked like he did. It was probably a high chest hit, but given the blurriness, it, it did also look that maybe he'd made contact with the, the neck or jaw, but it, it, it's very hard to say. I don't know if it's been picked up in the in the match review off, office, but um, yeah, look, Heaney's out with his hand and I think it's also going to be a month. So I just wanted to shout out to the Bombers fans there. Obviously, we don't want to see that as Swans fans, but we also love Heaney and we will... Um, defend him in every other sense. We want him to play, but if he's if he's hitting blokes, we don't approve, I think. <laughs> Still love you, Isaac. Please yeah, come we, back we do. Um, so Rampy finger, four weeks. Uh, Heaney hand, probably three to four weeks. Um, look, form-wise, who are we looking at that could probably do with a bit of a spell, considering that the VFL is kicking off this weekend? Oh, look, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. I think Blakey, again, he was better against Richmond, but I don't, I don't know. He just, he looks like he's not quite up to the pace of it at the moment. And he's still trying to do maybe a bit too much with the ball when he gets it. Um, sometimes kind of rushing decisions a little bit, like that one in the final quarter, if you remember where he was streaming into the forward 50 and, you know, he either needed to take like a, like a long running shot at goal from a not great angle or, you know, lower his eyes a bit and try and hit up a forward target. But instead he just kind of sprayed it and it dribbled out of bounds. That sort of stuff where he's just, his decisions are bit off. I reckon he might have a game at Tram Park or Tramway Park or whatever it's called on the, on the <laughs> weekend. I'll figure out what that's called. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, okay. So if, if we're looking at, or we're definitely looking at Heaney and Rampy out, um, potentially Blakey based on form, does Lance Franklin stay in given that it's in Sydney? I guess so. And, I he, mean, and he looked okay? Yeah, he looked like he was, I mean, he played the whole game out. He, um, and, and Longmire talking constantly through the last couple of weeks has been very consistent that, you know, they plan to play Franklin um, unless they have a good reason not to. So we, well, we don't know what's going on with him, but. But yeah, he looked like he'd be able to play again this week. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if he's fit and he's good to go, and we're in Sydney and he's still around the family, then surely, you know. Um, but that said, you know, as we've been very open, you know, I th- McLean can come in and 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 play that role. Um, but it's just just a matter of, um, I guess, how they look, how he's looking, isn't it? I yeah, guess they'll figure that out during the week. It's at the SCG. But, um, I mean, he seems to be playing all the SCG games at the moment, so. <laughs> Maybe he takes a break for the Gold Coast the week after. Yeah. Oh, Lakeside Oval. Okay. So 
Yeah, it's that one, like when you come in, like when you come in from from Central Station side, when you come up the hill and there's that big field just outside the SCG on Driver Avenue, it's that field, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to have to double check this because I'm checking on the Swans app. It says Lakeside. Obviously, they're going to get that right, but I thought I'd read somewhere. It yeah, because there is there's or... that um, there's that Kipax Lake that I don't know if it's a real and artificial lake, but that little Kipax Lake which is there. So I guess that's the lake that it's beside. I'd always wondered if that was a throwback to the lake. Um, is it Albert Lake? I'm probably getting this wrong. No, Lake Lake Oval or Lake Park. Yeah, it was the, called the, something the... like that. Either Lake Oval or maybe it was even called Lakeside Oval. I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, I never went there. Right. But it was before my time. But <laughs> terrible Swans fans will obviously yeah. have to fact check. Fact you check need to ask and... your friend. She she would have been an old South Melbourne fan. The friend you met at the game, she'd know. Oh, exactly. I'll just uh, I've got Marita on speed dial now, so yeah. <laughs> um, I'll ask Marita and Bob and say, "Hey, what was this? Uh, where did the Swans used to play?" They could definitely tell me. But yeah, we could we could um, Google it, but it's much more fun to do it that way. I think. Yes, yes, we're referencing back. Um, uh, okay, so. Okay, so Heaney out, Rampy out, potentially Blakey, probably yeah. Franklin in. Who comes in? I don't know. And with the Blakey out, like I'm not saying he's playing terribly. I'm just saying that because we've got a lot of people on the fringes who are pushing for spots, that it becomes very, very tight. So if you're not completely spot on every week, then you might get dropped. Um, and and I don't think Blakey would get dropped if there weren't guys breathing down his neck. But all the reports keep saying that Stevens and Haywood are constantly putting their hands up in practice games. So, you know, if one of them is deserving of a spot, then I think Blakey would be the one to step aside. Yeah, and look, it is, it is a tough call and we're being... <laughs> there is a tramway oval, so I'm not wrong. It's a park <laughs> in Moore Park. Sorry, Steve, I'm doing two things at once here. Um, yeah, look... Look, if, if he stays in, you know, look, chances are he'll have a good solid game like he did against the Tigers. But I think he, he could do potentially with a week off to get some form again because we all know he's a gun player and he's going to be a gun player for a long time for the Bloods and we're looking forward to that. Um, I think you mentioned McDonald maybe up for a rest soon. What do you think about that? Oh, I just thought he looked a little bit, a little bit like maybe mentally tired in the last game, but then he's had a nine-day break since then. So surely he'd be all right as long as he's feeling mentally good my guess with him is that they'll probably um if they're going to rest him they'll do it after the Fremantle game in a few weeks time um maybe it's in three or four weeks I can't remember and because he's from Perth maybe they'll just leave him over in Perth for a few days afterwards and give him a rest then would be my guess but that's just a, a guess okay so I think they've said Rowie is fit and good to go if Ramp is out surely that's Melican, who by all accounts uh had a good pra- practice match against the Giants um, and then if we need someone to cover uh, the role of Heaney, then Hayward, do you think? Yeah, I think so. He plays that. I mean, he's capable of playing that sort of role. And then, so, if, sorry if you've already said this, and then if Blakey's out, then maybe someone like Dylan Stevens comes in. Have we gone well, that then far? We'd, we'd be out. So if we had Rampy out, Melican in, um, Heaney definitely out, Hayward in, and then Blakey out, Robottom. So we'd be three out, three in. So the ins would be Millican, uh, Hayward, I guess, and then Stevens yeah, okay. misses out again. Sure. Um, which is, you know, he's a great player and I'm hoping he can break back into the fold. But yeah, there's just that much competition at the moment. So a good good problem to have as a, as yeah, a bloke sure. fan, but, yeah. but, but tough for the guys and, and hope they're all, um, you know, working through it and working together as a team, obviously. All right. Um, so this next section, which swan flies high? This is, <laughs> we've, we've discovered that we're wondering if this, we should just can this because every player <laughs> we predict to play well ends up having a bit of an average game. But <laughs> who do you think might fly high, uh, Steve-O, against the Giants? Yeah, because we started this, like, what, two weeks ago before the Richmond game, and we said Buddy didn't play. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. we said McDonald need didn't have his best day. So zero, I'm, zero. Yeah. I'm going to put the absolute moz on poor Errol Goulden and say that um, he's been really, really good the last couple of weeks and he just hasn't quite put in a four-quarter performance yet. Um, and, and last week, his finishing was a bit off like we talked about before. I think this week, it's all going to click. He's going to play four quarters. He's going to nail his shots. He's going to tear it up. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And uh, I really hope that does come uh, come to pass. But my prediction for Swanee, who uh, flies high, I'm going to go with uh, Juzzy McInerney. He obviously had a pretty good game against the Bombers, kicked those two goals. I think he's going to be a bit more active. He's going to get 20 disposals and he's going to kick three goals. I just love him. You love to, he's such an exciting player and you love the players who, who you can see that it means a lot to them. Mm. You know, when he pumps his arms and it's like, let's go boys. Just love to see it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm predicting a big run from Juzzy, but that said, 
if if we by this time next week, if we come back and, and Golden and McInerney have been flat, we're just going to can this section. Yep, I agree. We're finished. Finished. Yeah, we we'll just get rid of it because it's just too much bad mojo. All right, so let's we'll have to make a note of that and come back to that. All right, uh, in terms of the Giants, who do we need to be wary of? Obviously, they're a team stacked with talent still, even though they've had a bit of bit of a rough start to the year. Who are their bogey? Or, you know, their their danger players. Um, there are two for me. One, Toby Green. He's been very dominant the last couple of weeks. He kicked five last week. I think he got five the week before. I think three the week before that. Um, if we can minimise his impact, forward of 50. And then the other one is, um, is Hopper. He's very, very strong at the stoppages. We saw that in our in our breakdown of the preseason game against the Giants, if you go back a few weeks. Um, he's got a very, very strong influence at the stoppages. Without um, without all of his support around him, maybe his influence is with some of their injuries. Maybe his influence is not so much, but still he's one to keep a strong eye on. Definitely. He's such a, he's so dangerous there at the uh, stoppages. I've got about three or four of the Giants who I think um, we really need to to look out for. And that's uh, Timmy Taranto. Um, he's getting back to his pre-shoulder level of ability. And that's a scary thing because he was on track for superstardom. And and look, his past two weeks, he's been building, but his past, past two weeks have been very, very good. So I think we need to just keep him in the back of our mind. Bobby Hill, obviously X Factor, um, continues to look more and more dangerous and actually um, continues to look um, quite composed. Um, so he's, he's got a very dangerous pass and he's, he's been doing some punishing inside 50s. Uh, the other area is Ruck. Obviously, they gave Flynn a rest last week and brought um, X-20 or X-Cat and X-20 Shane uh, Mumford, Mummy in. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if they're going to bring Flynn back in or they're going to keep Mummy and then maybe ruck together but that, if that's the case then Hickey's definitely going to need a lot of help from Reed because Mummy's one of those um, ruckmen that really lets you know that he's there um, with his barrel chest and his, uh, his rugby tackling so I think they're the players for my mind that uh, we need to look out for obviously there's you know, a stack of other players Tom Green who I think we'll probably talk about every other week and how we, we, we wish that um, he'd come to the Swans at some point um, but yeah yeah um, how do we get the win, Steve? I'm, I'm a bit worried about this game. Um, you know, they obviously beat the Pies. We both picked the Pies. They smashed the Pies effectively. Um, so is this was that game the turning point for them? Or that, is it just going to click again? Um, I watched the second half of that Collingwood Giants game. I turned it on. Um, the Giants looked pretty good, really. And they had a very, very young team. And Collingwood, to be keeping it all in context, weren't particularly impressive either. But um, I think if we can keep the game on our terms and play the same style that's been successful, I mean, they're going to throw pressure at us for sure. Um, we need to match that pressure and make sure we use the ball better and, and hope for some better finishing than this week. And I think that should be enough for the Swans to get the win. Yeah, they're, they're my points exactly. Try to increase uh, the disposal efficiency back up to that 75 76% range. Um, then maybe get a few more uncontested touches and then kick straight and get more goals than behinds. It's pretty simple, but, you know, easier said than done, obviously. We're looking at the form line, and obviously we are 4-0. We've got four Ws in a row. It looks beautiful on the page. The Giants are loss, 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 win. So um, that's the recent form. In terms of the past three years of games against the Giants, been a bit of of an up and down. So 2018... uh, the Swans beat the Giants and then uh, the Giants beat the Swans. And then there was three, three games in a row uh, between 2018 and end of 2019 where the Giants beat us. And then we beat them last year at Optus Stadium uh, in, in a coronavirus world, so which was one of our best games of the year last year. So it's a bit hard to look back at recent um, games and try and predict a trend. But um, yeah, yeah, it's who are you going to tip, Steve? Swans for me. Swans. Uh, all yeah, right, I'm going to go Swans. a fair too. bit of confidence, yeah. I think. More confidence. Fair bit of confidence. Okay. Last week. Yeah, I'm more confident this one than I was against Essendon, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. I uh, I guess um, just having seen against the the Bombers and other teams may start to play that style um, against us like the Bombers did. But whether or not they can keep that pressure up, um, we'll 
we're yet to see. But yeah, I'll pick the Swans as well. But I'm uh, I'm I'm not confident. I guess I'm I'm never really confident. But <laughs> I'll pick the Swans. <laughs> Except for uh, when you picked them to beat Richmond at the MCG two weeks ago. <laughs> That was just ballsy, mate. I was just, uh, I was just trying to peg back a win, uh, a tip, mate. So oh, no, but look, yeah, I think, I think you said I'm equal or ahead. I think point. you're ahead. We'll, we'll get to, yeah, when we get to the tips, we can. I think you're actually ahead. It's just, all, it's all conjecture at this point. Um, <laughs> hey, mate, if a group of swans is called a bevy, then what is a group of giants called? Yes, I've done some research on this. Um, this is my task for the week. A percussion of giants, according to the internet, I guess because it makes a big drum sounding noise when they walk or something. I don't know. The big sound from the West or something. Yeah, it maybe like that's a, song, a percussion of song gi- from the gulags. Yeah, like yeah. a Russian percussion of, yeah. of Western Sydney sounding music. I quite like their song, actually. I think they, I, there's a lot yeah. of good songs in the AFL. Yeah, there's some good ones and some some really good ones. But yeah. I like this. I think probably the the Swans is the best, mate. But yeah, yeah, again, I'm I'm, I'm very biased. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, last week we neglected to let the listeners know what the collective noun for a group of bombers uh, is. So can you just fill me in on that one too? Yes, just in case anyone's keeping track of this and hasn't decided (laughs) to just look it up for themselves. Um, A squadron of bombers, which is kind of boring, really. So we didn't miss much by leaving that one out. Yeah, right. Squadron of Bombers. Gotcha. Uh, the Bomber Squadron. I think they even call themselves the Squadron. The cheer squad of the, of the Bombers is called the Squadron, I think. I can't remember. Oh, that works out. And then there's the Hangar as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Let's yeah. see how long they All can right. stretch that stretch that metaphor um yeah well i think they've covered it quite well in their marketing department all right um i think we're going to look at um two games now um our highlight games or game of interest and i'm going to kick off because it's the first game of the round and that is 11th place saints against eighth place tigers at marvel on thursday night um Look, in terms of ins and outs, neither side reported injuries after the last round. Since then, Rowan Marshall's actually pulled up Ginger from his uh, foot injury. I think it's plantar fasciitis. I think I'm saying that right. My brother had it. He said it was very, very painful, Um, but obviously different game. But uh, yeah, I think Rowan Marshall's a big out, obviously, because he's um, one of their key targets up front and obviously main ruck. But I think Carlisle and or uh, McKernan will obviously fill the void. Um, in terms of the Tigers, they didn't have anyone injured, but yeah, I think uh, Dimmer's not afraid to throw the magnets around, so they're probably going to mix it up again. In terms of recent form, the Saints uh, win, loss, loss, win, and the Tigers are win, win, loss, loss, and one of those L's is from the Swans. Uh, key players I've got for the Saints, Crouch, Steele, King, and Butler. For the Tigers, obviously Dusty, Jaden Short, Lynch, and Bolton. I just... I. I I do love, I actually really love Bolton as a player. I think he's going to get better and better. Um, I chose this match, I think, because, you know, obviously the Saints bounced back after the Bombers thrashing and really needed to. And they came back with a, with a really good win against the Eagles and Marvel. Um, so obviously the Eagles are touted as a, oh, I'd say top four, four or six, definitely a, a you know, final eight um, team this year. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Tigers can can put those two pretty big losses, uh, one to Sydney and then obviously last week to Port by a couple of points behind them and and try and, you know, get the job done against the Saints. But with that in mind, I think I've got to, I've got to back in the Tigers. Um, I know Marvel is basically a home game for the Saints, but, you know, it's still in Melbourne, so they're going to have a, a a lot of Tigers there in support. So they, they really just have to win. And I think they've got to win ugly if, if need be. And uh, they need to do so to get that season back on track. It's obviously not panic stations, but I think for a, a team and a club and a supporter base like Richmond, it's who are very proud and have had a lot of success over the past three, four years. Uh, it's really important to get back on track. So um, they were very close against Port. Obviously, it was a fantastic game. Um, so, you know, Porter, a top two contender. So, you would say that the Tigers get the win there, I think. Yeah. Steve, do you have a, a pick on those? I uh, I think I agree. Yeah, Tigers. Tigers, all right. Make note of that. All right, well, let's pass over to your game of the round. Okay. So, I'm going to look at, um, at Brisbane versus Essendon up in the Gabba. Brisbane sitting 16th on the ladder. Essendon's 12th. So both teams are one and three. It's just percentage that's separating them. 
Um, they both had the one win. Um, yeah, I picked this one. This is an interesting one, this game, because it's a team that I guess is a bit behind where we expected they might be now with Brisbane. I don't think we expected Brisbane to be to be one and three. Certainly their loss to the Swans was a shock loss. Um, and then a team that's caused a few surprises. I mean, okay, Essendon's only won one match, but it was against a, you know, a likely or a potential finalist. And then they've pushed Sydney, who have been the form team, to within three points at their home ground. So, yeah, it's an interesting clash. Um, yeah, so Saturday night, uh, 7.25 at the Gabba. No no injuries. No starter side reported any um, any real injuries. I think McStay is a possibility to come back in for Brisbane, coming back off an injury layoff, but nothing confirmed yet. We'll know on Thursday or Friday when the teams come out. Um, yeah, recent form is both the same. Lions have gone loss-loss, win-loss, and Bombers have done the same thing. Um, but I think it's interesting to look at who they've lost to. So... Brisbane have lost to Sydney, which we know. Geelong by a point, very controversial circumstances. They probably would have had claims to say they deserved a free kick. And the AFL even said they should have got that free kick in front of goal at the end. So that was a very close one against Geelong, which is last year's grand finalist. And the Bulldogs, who is predicted by many to be a top two team this year. So none of those losses have been shameful, really, given Sydney's sustained form. Um, And then they beat Collingwood. Essendon lost to the Hawks after giving up a massive lead, 40-something points. They were thrashed by Port. Um, They belted a very disappointing St Kilda. Essendon played well, but St Kilda were poor. And then they pushed Sydney to play four quarters for the first time this year by any team, including last year's Premiers. Um, So I think Brisbane's form line to me is a bit stronger. Um, Key players, Brisbane, I think the forwards for me, Danaher, Hipwood and Cameron haven't clicked yet as a trio. And I think they need to find a way to click and get the best out of all three of those players. It's been a bit, uh, yeah, they, they, they haven't gelled. Some of them, I've watched Brisbane quite a bit this year, and they haven't really got the chemistry yet between those three key forwards or important forwards. And then Essendon, uh, Merritt and Parrish in the middle. Um, Brisbane want to make sure that whatever dominance they have around the ball is minimised. And Ridley in the back line, if he can keep playing at his best, then he can really start to expose um, Brisbane coming out of the back half. I think Brisbane is going to win because they need to win to prove that they're contenders this year. I think if they drop this game, a lot of questions are going to start coming on their their credibility as a contender this year. Essendon will give them a good run, I think, just like they did with the Swans. But I think that Brisbane's got some really you know strong, experienced players. And I think they'll be the difference um, against a, a fairly raw, if promising, Essendon team who's actually on the road now for the second week in a row. So for that, I'm saying Brisbane. Man, I was going to go the Bombers, but that was really that was a really good summary. Like, I think you've made me change my mind, Steve. I think I'm going to go the Lions now. Um, this is we're totally. This is this was not planned. Like I'd actually planned to say I'm going to go the Bombers, but having listened to you now, we I actually did. Yeah, to be fair, him. he's not making this up. This isn't gamesmanship on the tipping comp. We actually preempted our tips, and his preempted tip was Essendon. <laughs> I had no idea you were going to give that such a good... Okay, so you fully convinced me here. Okay, the other thing is Danaher, that's going to... Are the Bombers going to target him as an ex-Don? I don't know. Are they There's all this talk about having to they... go at ex-players and stuff, but... I think Ben Rutten as a coach is a coach that I've got a lot of respect for, and I think that he'll want to beat them on the field. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well... I've got to change the Lions, mate. I'm going to, I'm going to change the Lions. <laughs> Sorry. You've made so many good points there. You've got me. You're welcome. No, it's, it's good kick, to... Kicking kick myself as the Bombers get up. I should, <laughs> yeah. I should the, this, up, is, this is all, all on you if they get up. You can't blame anyone else for yourself. All right, mate. Yeah, anyway, let's, should, we, run, should we do the other tips? <laughs> yeah, I'll do the other tips. I'll, run, yeah. I'll quickly run through the yeah. rest of the games. So obviously, uh, Saints and Tigers game one, we've both called the Tigers... Game two is sixth-placed Eagles versus 14th-placed Magpies at Optus Stadium on Friday night. I'm going the Eagles, mate. Yep, Eagles. Eagles, okay. Uh, Game three, got first-placed Dogs versus the 13th-placed Suns at Marvel on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Dogs. Yeah, Dogs, for sure. Looking too good. Um, Game four, obviously, we've looked at the Swans and the Giants, and we've both gone the Swannies. Uh, game five, we've got seventh place Blues versus fourth place Power at the MCG on Saturday night. I'm going to go Port here, mate. Yeah, me too, Port. Um, 
Game six, we've got uh, the Lions of the Bombers, as we just spoken on, and I've backflipped. We're both going to go Lions here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, game seven, uh, got fifth place Crows versus ninth place Dockers at Adelaide Oval on Sunday afternoon. Uh, got to go the Crows here. Yep, I'm agreeing again. I'm on the Crows. Look at that. Game eight, 17th placed Hawks versus second placed Demons at the MCG on Sunday afternoon, Twilight. Oh, I've got to go the Ds. They're looking fantastic. Yep, I agree again. Ds, okay. Game nine, 10th place Cats versus 18th place Ruse at GM HBA Park Cardinia, Geelong, uh, on Sunday afternoon, Twilight, and also the Cats. Yeah, I think the Cats, have. Um, they've got north at a good time because they've been looking a bit shaky Geelong and it's a good time for them to get a game against North Melbourne so yeah cats although that said the the Roos were beating the Crows right up until the uh the beginning of fourth quarter so yeah um, who knows I mean you 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 couldn't you couldn't think that the Roos would beat the Cats in Geelong surely nah I'm tipping tipping Geelong for this one all right all right Steve thanks for your tips thanks for your time uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. On behalf of the Bevy, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Bevy of Bloods for updates and tidbits. Until then, up the bloods and calm the swans.